as a young adult, I became inspired by Dr. John Haggai. He said that we should not be shy about talking about giving. And he shared with us that he gave 50% of his income to the kingdom at that time. And I thought 50% of his income, wow. Over a period of time, I gradually bumped up my percentage. I got deep enough into it to attract the attention of the IRS. They audited me three times because my income was out of line with my giving. And so it was a hassle, but it turned out fine. If you really want to know the Lord, open your wallet. My dad used to say, a penny on every dime and a dime on every dollar. The idea of 10% of, of anything I earned, I should, I should give back to the Lord. One of the jobs I used to do was I would get a penny for every weed that I pulled. So I'd go out in the yard and I'd pull weeds. I might pull, you know, 200 weeds. And I'd earn $2 and I'd lay it out and bring a portion of that to church on Sunday and put it in the bag. I remember my mom gave. She always put something in the offering basket every week. And it used to make me mad. But then when I came to an understanding of who God was through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I then began to understand why my mom put money in the offering plate every week. Is that it was a privilege. The question that I get asked a lot is, money make you happy? Well, I know a lot of people that have a lot of money, and if it did, they would be hilarious. And the reality of it is, is that many of them have said, this money has become a burden. If God has chosen to give you these resources, it's not meant to be a burden. But you need to remember, it will never make you happy. We need to understand that there's only one Lord and Master, and that's Jesus Christ. And you're either going to serve Christ or you're gonna serve your money. When you look through the Bible, and you see, you know, Abel bringing a sacrifice and an offering to God of the best that he had. And you see Abraham, before the law was even given, you see Abraham giving a gift, this, a tithe to this person, Melchizedek. And then, of course, you see this, this system set up to give a tenth to the Levites, who were the people that, that were the sort of the full-time Christian workers, if you will, of the day. You see Jesus talk about money a lot. You see him commending the practice of tithing. You see him saying to give to God what is God. You see in the epistles encouragement to give with a cheerful heart and that that's what God loves and a command to give to the work of the Lord. So I, you really see it all throughout the Bible. In 35 years of being involved in helping people with finances, the basic foundational principle is that God owns it all. If he owns everything, then he's chosen to transfer some of what he owns to me to be responsible for it. If I'm supposed to be responsible for it, then I also need to realize, too, that I'm supposed to share a portion of what I have with, with the less privileged. Money is supposed to be a tool, a test, and a testimony. You will learn to trust him, and you will see that his promises are true. You just learn that he's real, that he's out there, and that he wants to be a part of your life. And giving up that 
resource that we all love so much is one way to show it. The Lord can do a lot more with a dollar than I can, and we won't know until we get home what the real impact is. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Buddy Green, we love you, man. And Jeff, Jeff, thank you. One day, I'm going to get you to move away from that city of music amateurs in Nashville and come here with the professionals in Atlanta. You're truly a man of God, and he truly offers his gifts to the Lord. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus right now confessing my inadequacy and confessing that without the Holy Spirit, your Spirit that dwells in us, the same Holy Spirit who authored the Word of God, without Him taking His Word and apply it to our lives, everything I say will mean nothing and will be forgotten. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit of God, that you would move freely in our hearts and minds and speak to us today, that we will walk out of here knowing that we heard from God, not from man. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A 19th century philosopher, historian, social critic, well-known man by the name of Thomas Carlyle. Thomas Carlyle was born into a very strict a Christian family in Scotland. And as often the case, as the testimony of so many of you, we hear testimonies of the vestry, and you hear the story over and over again. They went to college, and then they wandered away from the Lord, and then God brought them back. And the same story happened with Thomas Carlyle, except we don't know if he ever came back, but he went to the University of Edinburgh, and there he lost his faith but he never lost that sternness, that, that rigidity that he was brought up with in, in, in his home, the strict home uh, in, in Scotland. As a young man who comes from a relatively poor family, really very modest family, he fell in love with Kitty Kilpatrick, who happened to be a daughter of a, a British official, and uh, uh, her mother was... Uh, princess from India. And being the class-conscious society at the time, Thomas Carlyle could not marry Kitty, and that broke his heart. A man from a low class cannot marry. So he married a poor girl by the name of Jane Welch. Jane was beautiful. She was a gracious woman. She was a kind woman. But for the rest of his life, Carlisle could never overcome his resentment over the fact that he had to, quote-unquote, settle for marrying Jane. And so he treated her unkindly, to say the least. 
He gave her no affection. He gave her no attention. And he gave her no appreciation. And yet Jane Carlyle could not understand what's wrong with her husband. She could not understand why he insisted on them sleeping in two separate bedrooms and maintaining a hollow and celibate marriage. Jane had longed for and she yearned for the opportunity to be appreciated by her husband. And she tried in which every way to please him, to please this now. By that time, he became a very famous man, but to no avail. She became depressed, chronically ill. She suffered from many ailments, including a dilapidating headaches. She tried to conceal her pain from her husband and always maintain a cheerful demeanor, a cheerful front. Whenever he comes home from his lecture tours, she was always pleasant, always serving, always smiling. But he was oblivious to her needs. As her health worsened and her depression deepened, she became bedridden and invalid. And after years of illness, Jan died. After the funeral, while some guests were still downstairs, Thomas Carlyle went upstairs and he stumbled on her diary. And he began to read. And he was reading how much she loved him, page after page, how much she loved him, how miserable her life was because of the years of not being appreciated. She wrote about the numerous times that she tried to please her husband and how he cruelly rebuffed her efforts. She wrote about how not even once not once during their marriage had he ever said a loving word, affectionate word, word of appreciation. At that moment, Thomas Carlyle realized that his wife died of a broken heart, and he broke it. At that moment, there were still some people down, downstairs while he was upstairs reading the diary and being so cut to the heart. And he came down running and went out, and one of his friends who was still downstairs followed him and to found Thomas Carlyle kneeling at his wife's freshly dug grave, weeping and sobbing, saying, if only I had known, if only I had known. 
After that, Carlyle withdrew from society and from public life in general. And he wrote a self-condemning essay entitled Reminiscence of Jane Wealth Welch Carlyle. Why am I telling you this long, in many ways, tragic story? There's purpose in my madness. <laughs> There's a reason why I'm telling you this, and I hope you listen very closely. Because it illustrates a principle in human nature. Beloved, we all need to be appreciated, every one of us, especially by those who matter to us the most. When those who matter to us the most withhold appreciation, our spirit within us begins to wither and die, and even the body dies. Hear me right, please. I have never met anyone who does not appreciate being appreciated. Not, not once. Some people, listen carefully, some people pretend to be totally independent and emotionally self-sufficient, and they don't want anything, and they don't want… But don't you believe it. Trust me. Don't believe it. For they need to be appreciated. And the need to be appreciated is universal. It's, it's, it's part of God's creation. But of course, I am painfully aware of the fact, listen, I'm painfully aware of this, that there are some people who don't know how to express appreciation. I know, and that's tragic. Others deliberately withdraw appreciation thinking that it may lead some people into being proud and, and arrogant, and so they withhold it. Let God deal with that. You give appreciation. Amen? Listen to me. What lack of appreciation usually produces is the feeling of rejection, depression, and starvation for attention. Hear me right on this one. I know of what I'm talking about. There is nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong with wanting, needing, and receiving appreciation. It is biblical. It is thoroughly biblical. It is a godly thing to do. The Bible said, give honor to whom honor is due. And I can give you other texts as well. But like everything else, of course, I know there are extremes in everything. Always extremes. I'm reminded of this man in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, true story, who basically organized, orchestrated his own funeral. And the uh, invitation issued, the funeral is going to be such and such time, and, and he comes riding on a hearse in the front. And when he came into the funeral chapel, he sat in the front pew. And he watched the whole funeral, his own funeral. As he said to the press later on, when that happened, of course, the, the whole city of Fort Lauderdale, a, a buzz about this whole thing. And here's what he said. I'm going to quote him word for word. 
He said, what good does it do for people to say nice things about you after you're dead and you cannot hear them? <laughs> now, I call that extreme. A Danish philosopher once said, ingratitude is always a sign of weakness. Did you get that? Let me repeat it. Ingratitude is always a sign of weakness. And I personally have never known a strong person, man or woman, who is ungrateful. The strong men and women that I know, every one of them is filled with gratitude. And by definition, the strongest one is God. For He is the most appreciative of His children. Why? Because although He needs nothing from us, nothing, there is nothing we can do for Him. He lavishes appreciation on us. Throughout the Scripture, you're going to discover, if you read it carefully, that God does not let even the smallest of sacrifice, the smallest of sacrifice, to go unappreciated and unrewarded. Can I get an amen? amen. Jesus said, even a cup of cold water. Just think about this. I mean, I don't know what a cup of cold water costs. Somebody put that one here, and I thank you for that. I want you to know I appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know what, how much this thing costs. Nothing. It's not much. But you know, Jesus said that when it's offered is not unnoticed by Jesus. And it's not unrewarded by Jesus. A cup of cold water. Now, I want you to imagine with me this kind of a, 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 a scenario, okay? Just use your imagination. Suppose the Lord comes to you and He gives you a million dollars. Now, now your mind's already gone. Come, come back. <laughs> Just think about it. It's a hypothetical thing. And it's, He gives you a million dollars. You take the million dollars, you put them in the bank. And then you hear about a street preacher, a man who preaches his heart out in the gospel, and, he, and, he, and he's leading people to Christ, and that you hear that this person can do with a car, and he will probably do a better job, and, and he'll be more effective if he just has a dependable car that he can use in his ministry. And so you decide, since you already have been blessed abundantly, you're going to get, write a check for $20,000 and buy him a nice car. In your mind, you know deep down that this is pittance in comparison to the million dollars that you already got, that you have in the bag, that God already just given you. Think with me, okay? Think, just think about this. You could have bought him an old beat-up car for $5,000, right? Probably a tightwad would do that. <laughs> but you want to give him a reliable car. And so you generously write a check for $20,000. Now, I want you to imagine the Lord coming to you. Think about this. The Lord is coming to you, and He say, says to you, that was a wonderful thing you did. This was a thoughtful thing you did. This was a gracious thing you did. Thank you for doing this. 
Thank you for buying the, 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 a good car, another beat-up car uh, uh, that helps this man in his preaching. I applaud you for doing this. Think about how you're going to react when you hear the Lord saying that to you. Because, by the way, He does. Whether you hear Him or not, He does. If I can walk down these aisles and ask you, what was your response when the Lord does that to you? What is your response? And I ask each one of you. So I'm going to answer for you. Because <laughs> I know what I would have done. I know my response would be, I said, Lord, I'm embarrassed by all of this appreciation. Lord, after all, you gave me a million dollars. Lord, I don't deserve all of this appreciation. Lord, this, there's, not, there's nothing to be appreciated because you gave me a million dollars. Lord, I, 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 I gave pittance in comparison to what you have given me, Lord. How can you thank me? When you, how can you reward me? And yet, this is how God gives His appreciation to us all the time. Whether you, you hear it or not, He does. I speak on the authority of the Word of God. Now, you might not know it, you might not even imagine it, you might hear it, but He does. Even when we begin to take some baby steps in walking by faith, God is saying, good. Just like you see a toddler start walking, and, and you say, yeah, 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 come to daddy, come to daddy. You know what God, what God is saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. These few steps of faith, I appreciate that. Keep going, keep going. And he'll bless you so you can take more steps and more steps and more steps until you run. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and following. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, of course, Paul is speaking to an agrarian society. They understand that they're living, this is a life, uh, sowing and reaping, and they know the, 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 the synergy between sowing and reaping. But even in modern time, any of you have done any gardening? I can't say we, because I, 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 I've never done any gardening. I hate gardening. <laughs> but if you've just done some any gardening, you'll understand that concept. <laughs> even like Jordan, you were pulling weeds <laughs> for, for one cent. <laughs> You can count 200 weeds. That's why he's now a great corporate executive. <laughs> but there is a synergy between sowing and reaping. After the Word of God tells us about the relationship between the quantity of sowing and the quantity of reaping, by the way, it's not quantity in numbers, but quantity in relationship to who you are and what you have. You remember Jesus never says to the talent, when he gave the talents, the ten doubled it and the five doubled, the other one came and gave nothing, and he, he never said, much done. He, you know what he said? Well done. Well done. Immediately the Apostle Paul tells us about the depth, the deeper level of the love of God 
for us in proportion to the generosity in sowing. Now, I want to share with you from that passage that um, David read for us four things I want to share with you before I get carried away here about the hilarious giver, the generous giver. Four things. If you're taking notes, write them down, put them on your iPad, your iPhone, because it will bless you to go back and meditate on them again. First of all, the Lord has a soft spot in His heart for the hilarious giver. Verse 7, secondly, the Lord will abundantly bless the hilarious giver, verses 8 to 11. Thirdly, God is glorified by the hilarious giver, verses 11 to 13. And fourthly, God will answer the prayers on behalf of the hilarious givers, verses 14 and 15. Let's look at these very quickly. Literally, it means that God has a soft spot, (laughs) a special soft spot in His heart for the hilarious giver. I know your English Bibles have said, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. You say, well, God loves everybody. I'm going to explain all that, okay? The Greek text, the word hilarious, from which we get hilarious, actually, means it's, it's a lot stronger than just cheerful. It really does. I'm, I'm going to come to it in a minute. It means the person who have joy in his or her heart in giving. It means someone has fun in giving, high-fiving as he writes the check. It means somebody is having a, a belly laughter, not a belly ache, as they give. Now, I know there are some people confused about this and say, well, you know, how come God loves this person, loves it? Listen carefully. There are levels of love in the Scripture on the part of God. God loves His creation. He loves everybody. In fact, I'm going to say more about this in a very familiar verse, but don't, don't jump ahead because i got new insights on this very familiar verse. God loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, so that whomsoever. Then there is a deeper love that God has for those whomsoever that would come to Him and take and receive Jesus as their only Savior and Lord. This is a deeper love than the love He has for the world, that He has for creation, that He has for humanity, that He has for the sinner and the saints. It's a deeper love. Now, I know that some people give out of guilt. Some people give out of compulsion. Some people give uh, because they heard some slick presentation and a guy who manipulated their emotions and they, they, they respond to it. Or like some sheep who get fleeced by false shepherds. And I'm not going to move and say any more about this. I'm going to move on. <laughs> but that's not, that's not what Paul is referencing here. He is talking about the hilarious giver. And the hilarious giver gives from a cheerful heart, not obligation. The hilarious giver gives out of joyous, continuous, and systematic giving. 
And that is why Paul said, those hilarious givers have special place in God's heart. I already told you that God loves His creation. He loves humanity. But then He has a deeper love for those who are His uh, children. But then there is even a deeper love still that God has a special soft spot for those who are hilarious givers. You know why? Why does he have that special, deeper love for his own children? And then he has even deeper still love for those who are hilarious givers. In fact, I can prove to you in John 16, 27, here's what Jesus said. The Father himself loves you. That's the special love he has for his children. Because you have loved me and, believe, and have believed that I came from God. So he loves humanity. He loves his own in a deeper level, much deeper level. But then he loves a hilarious giver. He's, he, he, he has a laser focus. He, he has a, a, a unique response of love for those individuals who imitate Him. Because He is a hilarious giver. Our God is a hilarious giver. Can I get an amen? Amen. He's a hilarious giver. He's a generous giver. He does not give out of compulsion. He gives out of love. And therefore, the hilarious giver is imitating God. God is the most generous of all. God is the most hilarious giver of all. God is the most joyous giver of all. And that is why He showers them generously with deep affection and appreciation. Please listen to me. I know this is mind-boggling, and whenever I take time and think about it, I mean, it's mind-boggling. We know how much it means to us, for those who a dear and near to our hearts appreciate us. It means a whole lot more just a profundity thanks by a stranger for whom we've done something. It means a whole lot more. So I want you to imagine with me what it really means to you that God Himself, the Creator of heaven and earth, the God of power and might, expressing deep appreciation for you. I I want to tell you, for me, it is nothing sweeter and more uplifting along the journey than the Almighty God appreciating you because you are effusive in your giving back to Him. God has a soft spot for the hilarious givers. Secondly, God blesses the hilarious giver. Look at verses 9, verse verse 8. Start with verse 8. And I want you to, if if you don't have it in front of you, I want, want, is it going to be up here? Is it going to be up? Verse 8? It's not, but that's okay. You memorize it by the time I'm through with it. (laughs) And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, 
having all that you need, you will abound in everything. Let's do that again. And God is able to make what? Abound to you so that in? At having everything. Everything. This is not just, you know, some slick person wants you to give some money so he can buy a jet or a Rolls Royce and, 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 and said, oh, you go, you're going to get a jet. And the other day I saw one of those people on television say, lambasting his congregation, say, well, if God, you know, will for me to drive a Rolls Royce and for you uh, to drive a Toyota, what's it to you? I just heard the other guy, this just this week, and uh, my friend who shall remain nameless sent me a text that showed me a picture of him. And this, this pastor in South Carolina was just uh, um, lambasting the people for his giving his wife a $200,000 Lamborghini for anniversary. And my friend said, are you going to do this for Elizabeth? I said, not in your life. <laughs> she wouldn't even touch it. <laughs> you don't know my Aussie wife. <laughs> she would be embarrassed to even be in a car like that. Uh, When God says in his word, all, he means one thing, all, all. Here's something you know. I know this. It is possible to give without loving. Am I right? It's possible to give without necessarily loving. You might not even know the person. Or maybe you give in order to receive something back, a pay. Uh, payback or kickback or whatever. Uh, you, you may give in order to get a needed tax deduction or may give because, um, you know, you get praise from people or, or you, you, you give for all sorts of reasons without necessarily love. Ah, but you cannot love without giving. Can I get an amen? You cannot tell me you love something without giving. <laughs> Again, I'm going to explain that more in detail in the next message. But when God wanted to show his love to us, he gave. And he gave everything. It's only in heaven that we will understand the unity between the Father and the Son and what it means for the Father to give his Son. If you say, I love God. Oh, I love God. And you give him diddly squat. Oh, the crumbs are falling off your table. What kind of love is that? Question. Why does God want to bless the hilarious giver? He really does. You see, it's from cover to cover in the Scripture. Because it is the evidence of you loving Him and that you are trusting Him. That he who has provided for you this year, he's going to provide for you next year and for the rest of your life. And that's what David said. I've been young, now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. Many of you know my testimony. I'm not going to bore you with it. It's in, I've written it in books. I've shared it from here. Even though I was ordained to the ministry, and I was not a cheerful giver. 
until I was challenged by the Word of God. It's the Word of God that challenged me. In fact, I was ordained to the ministry, and I was living by sight and not by faith. I remember the day, like, like yesterday, 40 years ago, when the Lord literally challenged me from His Word. Listen, I know the world does not understand living by faith. I know that. Don't expect them. Please, don't expect the world to understand that. They will never will. They never will. The world would say to you, what are you doing? You're squandering your resources. You're endangering your net worth. You are endangering your financial security. What are you doing? You will not have any money left over to meet your needs. How do you know that God is going to provide for you next year? We might get a recession next year. Well, praise God. He doesn't bless you based on Wall Street. and doesn't bless you based on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. No. By giving by faith is very different from that stuff. See, they don't understand. They don't understand that this is not the case at all. That when you give hilariously to God, you will have more, not less. Uh, If you give God first and and the first fruit, you will have more left over, not less. Because God loves a hilarious giver, He will make all grace abounds to you. God loves and blesses and deeply appreciates those who are like Him, hilarious givers. Those who believe with all of their heart that with God nothing is impossible, that all things are possible with God. Now, beloved, listen to me. If you have never experienced God's uh, appreciation to you for boldly living by faith and going into the adventures of faith, you are missing out on the greatest joy you can ever have. I'm testifying, but I'm not the only one that thousands of people would say the same thing. You're missing out. You're actually impoverishing yourself in every way. Just as in every way He blesses you, you're impoverishing yourself in every way. Spiritual way, material, every way. The reason I have several people who see all my finances, my, what I make, what I give, and, because I never want to stand here, and, and, and they're watching me and hearing me, and they, they know I'm not just preaching the stuff. I live the stuff. I tested God over and over and over and over again. And I'm here to testify to you that I saw God in the last 40 years that stretches a dollar that goes much further than a million dollars in the hand of an an unbeliever. I was making $13,000 a year. I don't mind telling you that. And we were living better than people who were making 10 times as much. We saw God stretches that money, stretches that money. I've not only lived it, but I see it in the lives of so many of my friends who are practicing it. Again and again, God replenishes over, over and above. 
And so sometimes I go back to my counter and say, can I give more? It's like Charles. He says, don't get the attention of the IRS. <laughs> I don't care. I've done nothing wrong. Now, beloved, I cannot count all of the blessings. Trust me, I cannot count that far. That God has overwhelmed me again and again and again with his blessings. Sometimes when I'm really focusing on it, I sit there and I weep before God. And it's not just material things. I'm talking about health blessings. I'm talking about prayer blessings. I answered prayer. I'm talking about ministry blessings. This is the world of faith living, not sight living. And I challenge you, every one of you, young or old, start entering into faith living today. Amen? God has a soft spot for the hilarious giver. God loves to bless the hilarious giver. Thirdly, God is glorified in the life of a hilarious giver. When others are blessed by your generosity, by being a hilarious giver, they're going to give praise and glory to God. They will give the credit to the Lord, and the Lord turns around and gives you the credit. Isn't that amazing? I'm telling you, I'm from the Middle East. I know a deal when I see one. <laughs> this is a deal. <laughs> Think about this. Think about this. Meditate on it for a long time. Look closely at verses 12 and 13. It was amazing. I've just, you know, as you know, I prepare my sermon on Tuesdays, and, and I've just kind of almost finished the message, and my email popped up, and, and um, I got curious, so I opened it, and it, was, it, it went like this. I'll read it to you. The best investment you can make is in yourself. Warren Buffett. <laughs> Investing in yourself, it will pay dividends to you and to your family and to those with whom you work. Now, beloved, our culture lavishes everything on itself. We lavish everything on ourselves. And now we have people who want the government to give them everything for nothing. <laughs> Others want to grab everything from those who worked hard and give it to those who can work but refuse to work. It's tragic. That's not biblical. The Bible is innocent from the, of this type of greed and entitlement mentality. The Bible is innocent of this attitude of ingratitude. The Bible is innocent of those who have no appreciation for the grace of God. Don't miss what Paul is saying here, verses 12 and 13. Because of your generosity, the recipients of your generosity will praise God for you. Because of your generosity, people will see that the gospel is being evident in your life. Because of your service, because of your sacrifice, you have proved that you are truly saved, and you're doing this out of gratitude to God. Now, remember, in the context, I tell you this all the time, context, context, context. Put the passage in its context. In the context, you have to understand why Paul is saying this to the Corinthians. See, Corinth 
was the sin city of the day. Did you get that? It was Las Vegas uh, of, of those years. It was known as Sin City. And so imagine the incredible joy, the incredible thankfulness, the incredible gratitude that the poor believers in Jerusalem are experiencing when they hear that this generosity is the result of those who are saved in Sin City. <laughs> there are Christians in Sin City? I'm sure there are Christians in Las Vegas. <laughs> I know that. Imagine their absolute ecstasy. Imagine their prayer to God on behalf of the Corinthians. Imagine their glorifying of God for the evidence of the salvation that being brought to Sin City. God has a soft spot for the hilarious giver. God longs to abundantly bless the hilarious giver. God is glorified by the hilarious giver. Fourthly, verse 14, God will answer the prayers. Now, this is a very sensitive one. I want you to listen carefully. God will answer the prayers that are offered on behalf of the hilarious giver. Verse 14, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace of God given to you. Then Paul goes on to say, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. This is a verse for some other time. Beloved, I cannot count the number of times that people walked up to me in the Middle East, in the Far East, in Europe, in Australia, throughout this great country. And the first thing they would say to me, you know, I pray for you. And I thank God for the members of the Church of the Apostles. Because I know without their support, you couldn't be doing what you're doing. It's absolutely true. I, 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 I testify to you, April of last year, <coughs> I was preaching in the Middle East, and a very prominent Christian psychiatrist walked up to me. He looked at me and said, oh, praise God, he heard my prayer. Now, remember, this is a psychiatrist. This is an MD. This is not some, somebody kind of, I, I don't want to, but, but it just blows my mind, so I hope it blows your mind too. <laughs> and he said to me, he said, every time I saw you on television with all that weight you were carrying, I prayed that God help you lose weight. <laughs> he said, I prayed that for 10 years. I said, brother, I've been for the last 10 years free of weight. <laughs> I didn't ask him. He did not know me. I, I did not know. I, I knew he's famous, but I did not know him personally. You see, you don't understand. When people pray for us, they don't even know us. God hears their prayers. We pray for you, and we thank God for the members of the Church of the Apostles. So many, so many poor and persecuted believers around the world who have been blessed by this ministry and the ministry of this church, so many 
ministries around this city, nearly 30 ministries around this city and around the country uh, and around the world have been uh, girded and, 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 and generously uh, uh, uplifted by the support of this ministry. As if you don't know, every 20, 20 cents of every dollar comes here, goes out of here. They all pray for you. They pray for you. I honestly hesitated to tell you this, but I'll tell you, please understand, this is for the glory of God only. Can I get an amen? amen. As I already told you, I prepare my sermon on Tuesday. It's always great when my wife leaves the house and I'm in the house by myself because I am praying loud, I'm singing loud, I'm very loud. <laughs> Nobody can hear me. And I'll write the message, and then I come on Thursday morning, I do some rewrites, and I just feel the Lord give me some new inspiration, and I'll write it, and I'll, and I'll, I'll take it back to my colleague, and he f- fixes it. And, and, and Thursday morning, I already finished doing some rewrites on this message, on this subject. I get a texting from a hilarious giver who's been a partner of Leading the Way Ministry for nearly 20 years, a genuine, hilarious giver. He said, Michael, I need you to pray for my eight-year-old grandson. He's at death door. Right now in Toronto, there are 15 doctors inside his room trying to figure out what's wrong. I mean, they felt the Spirit of God within me, willing up. I said, well, this is test for the sermon that I'm preaching. And I, on Bluetooth, by the way, wasn't, I, was on the, I was on the phone in the car. I wasn't holding the phone in my hand. I wasn't breaking the law. <laughs> I called him on the Bluetooth, and I said, we're going to pray right now. I said, Lord, in the name of Jesus, heal that boy. Thursday evening, he texts me. The oxygen is off. Moved from the intensive care, sitting in his room. Friday morning, he, Friday morning, uh, Friday evening, rather, he texts me again. He said, he's home playing. Don't tell me that God is not in the miracle business. And don't tell me that God still does not answer prayer right now. According to His promises, when you cling to His promises, God will answer prayers. If you have ever asked the question, well, what can a poor person over there or here or there do for me? I'm rich American. Think again. Think again. Their prayers for you, their thankfulness to God for you, their gratitude to God on your behalf is incalculable. Incalculable. You can't calculate. You don't know what's going on around you. You don't know how many times God delivered you. You don't know how many times God blessed you without you even knowing it. Some of you here today may be challenged for the first time with the Word of God. I want you to take a step of faith in taking God's promise and take Him at His Word. I want you to take the first step in trusting of God's provision, that He who has protected you and blessed you in the past will bless you in today and in the future. A step to becoming a hilarious giver. It is my challenge for every one of you today. And I pray that as you walk down these aisles to receive 
the symbols of the greatest giving of all, Jesus, who gave His body for you. And as we go to prayer, in a little while, there's some boxes that are going to kind of come out of the they're going to come out of, the, out of the ground. They'll be here by the time we finish praying. There'll be boxes right all over this place here in which you're going to bring your unsigned, unidentified pledge card. I'm going to tell you why. Now, you may have filled an amount, and today God challenged you, and that you want to take a step of faith. Well, you can change it upward. Hello? You forgot your card, the card's at the end of each pew, and say, God, I'm going to make this promise of faith. And the reason it's, it's a promise of faith is between you and God. That's why for 31 years, 31 and a half, almost 32 years, <laughs> we have always insisted. And I have passed this friend of mine who criticized me for this. How can you know when they don't? When they don't? I said, wait a minute, listen to me. That pledge is to God. Because God is the one who blesses you. The church cannot bless you. I cannot bless you. God is the one who blesses you. And that is why we insist on a being between you and God. And I am challenging you to take a step of faith. To, even if it's a baby step, God will honor it. God will honor it. Can I get an amen? amen. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus. These pieces of papers that has numbers on them, that's it. But you, who see everything, you're the only one who can bless. You're the only one who can keep your word to your servants who have tested you and believed in your provision. You see, and you're the only one. And so, Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus the God who's a promise maker and a promise keeper. I pray that you will take these numbers and convert them into souls that will be saved, that we will run into he in heaven. We will not even see the side of eternity. But because of these simple cards and numbers on them, you brought people to the kingdom. And so, Father, I pray that you bless ahead of time all these sacrifices, the symbols of these sacrifices, they're going to be offered to you. And I pray for your people. Bless them mightily. Keep every word of your promise to all the hilarious givers. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.